Hi. Hey, everybody. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. Now you get your two every week because Cody insists. Yep. And like she said, my name is Cody. Oh. <laughs> my name is Emily. And be sure you leave your manners at the door. And guess what? Emily's doing an episode today. Oh my god! I finally did my homework. <laughs> She's still alive. She's still well. And she is ready to give us a treat. And I am really going to be on top of things from now on. We've missed your story. <laughs> Have you? It's been a while. <laughs> but last, it's alright. Last... Your commentary is better than mine, so. Well, anyway. So I actually had to murder someone for this story. Right. Don't screw people. Kidding. Emily, you've been through a lot, though. She's She's been in a car wreck. She got another rabbit that's been shitting and pissing all over the house. That is not true! Well, two rabbits is hard. One was hard. Two... <sighs> she's literally psychotic this morning or this afternoon when I was finishing up my story and waiting for the traffic to die down. Oh, I Cody... love a last minute story. <laughs> Look, I, I was finalizing things. <laughs> she was literally running around my apartment and like little Nikki was just like Who was this star- bitch? yeah he was like staring at me like what what the is hell? she doing I'm tired where's my coffee this bitch is doing she, some I, I almost started filming her for you Cody like you would have been obsessed with her like you would have loved it I already am she's cute well she's your child she sure is all right well I don't have anything really to say um just continue to rate review subscribe please guys we love it when you post photos of like screenshots of you listening to it and then we'll repost it i'm thinking about like doing like a giveaway you know those tumblers that we have that have like the Uh true crime i'm thinking that we'll take everybody that puts like us on their story into a hat and we'll ship like we'll pick a winner like draw we'll do it live so people know that we're not just picking our i don't know best friend or something and we'll send them one. Well, you can also, like, put people into, like, there's, like, um ones that do it on the computer. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because that's how I want to get my eyebrows done. Oh, luck of the draw. Yeah. Um, Well, how'd that work out for you? Don't they look great? They do. Okay. So I guess it went good. And they don't move. Um, what do you mean they don't move? Well, they're tattooed. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant, yeah. Okay. Um, So, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So, post a video. And it can be any episode. Just post a photo of you listening to Why don't we just, like, give them a shirt when our shirt's I mean, we can do anything. I'm just trying to give it just a giveaway of some sort. Either the the cup, because I think the cup is fucking cool. I love it. And we'll put stickers in there. We always do drink out of them. Yeah. So, we'll do the cup. I'll post a photo of it so you can see it. But if you post a photo on your Instagram story of you like a screenshot of you listening to it and like tag us and stuff for your friends to see we'll put your name in a cup we'll do it for the next week or, or put your name weeks. in a cup too yeah and we'll draw a winner so, so yeah. that'll be two girls and two one girls cup. in one cup and I'll be the one shitting <laughs> wait isn't really? that what they do 
I think so. I think one shits and one vomits. But you know I'm the shitty one. And I'm not. (laughs) Ew! Okay, that's a horrible... Okay, Okay. let's talk about something more disgusting. (laughs) Okay, so my case this week was something that um, I actually heard first from my mother. Um, She's also, like, semi-interested in true crime, but she's always, like one and done for a while, you know, she Mm -hmm. can only take so much, but, um, this is kind of close to home. It's a little closer to like actually Josh. (laughs) Um, so this is a story of Darlie Rottier, um, and her sons that she murdered. Ew. So here we go. What a bitch. She really is. So, Darlie Lynn Peck was the firstborn child of parents Darlie and Larry Peck. She was born on January 4th, 1970 in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Darlie had a pretty normal childhood. Her life was rocked in 1977, though. Um, Her parents decided to get divorced. She was seven years old. Um, She had lived a relatively normal life up until then, but just like any other child, experiencing divorce is rough. Um, Darlie's mother remarried only a year later to a man named Dennis Stahl. There isn't much to note up until her teen years when Darlie and her mother and stepfather moved to Lubbock, Texas. Ew. Sorry if you're from Lubbock, but there's like literally nothing but a tumbleweed there. (laughs) At this point, the family consists of Mama Darlie, because they have the same name, Dennis Stahl, two biological sisters, and then two stepsisters. On all accounts, though, the five sisters got along great. Um, They even leaned on one another during the transition of moving to a vastly different climate and entering to new schools. So they seemed to have a normal, supportive relationship. So that is all great and fine, but Mama Darley and Papa Dennis began to fight verbally, and that turns into physical violence eventually, and this is happening constantly. Um, the two parents part ways, and as it's stated on Murderpedia, um, Darlie's mother is once again in search of a new spouse, and her girls were without a father figure. So to me, this is just like... Were they fighting just like, just out of disagreements, or was it like... Just, they weren't getting along, but then it's They were taking their frustrations just out on each other. It doesn't really go into detail about it. I mean, the point is that it went into physical violence, and the fact that... Once they got divorced, her mom's just immediately looking for a new spouse and a new father figure for her daughters. So it's just kind of like that's Mm -hmm. what needed to be done. It wasn't like she's looking for like the love of her life or anything. And it was it was like her mother couldn't function or support herself and her girls without a man. So that I mean, I'm not like trying to Mm -hmm. knock on her mom, but um I mean, it could have been also that she couldn't find a job that would pay enough to sustain them, mm-hmm. but that is kind of how she functioned. Okay. Um, growing up, Darlie was known to be a shy child, but came out of her shyness when she moved to Texas. Classmates even stated that she like kind of showed off at times in high school. Boys were interested in Darlie. She was a cute blonde with big hazel eyes and apparently this like bubbly personality. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Mama Darley is working at a local restaurant called the Western Sizzler. Ooh, I bet they have a mean grilled chicken fried steak. Oh, I bet they do, too. With and gravy like, and potatoes. Oh, no biscuits and gravy. Oh, hell yeah. And mashed, I mean, and um, 
macaroni. Oh yeah, but I can take some mashed potatoes. <laughs> so she works along a high, alongside a high school boy named Darren Rudier. I don't really know how to say it, if it's Rutier or Rutier. Probably Rutier. Mama Darley thought this bright, talkative boy with plans for the future would be an excellent fit for her daughter. So she was basically playing like matchmaker. It Never was like a good she, idea. no, it was like <laughs> she was seeking out a husband for her daughter. Right. Like bizarre. Um, Darren was two years older than Darley. Um, so he would soon be going off to college. Anyway, Mama Darley introduced the two and it was like love at first sight for both of them. And then a happily ever after. Except not. A possessive a foreshadowing of Darley and Darren's future happened at Darren's going away party. There, Darley began to portray a possessive hold over Darren. According to friends at the party, Darley became increasingly jealous of attention Darren was receiving at the party, which, keep in mind, is his going away party. Mm. So she just left the party. That, to me, is, like, dramatic enough in regard to high school drama, but Darley went about seven steps further and came running back to the party, frantic and panicked, claiming that someone had attempted to rape her on her way home oh god so she wanted attention and she pulled the rape card so that which it wasn't even a card to be dealt right because it didn't happen but that gave her the attention that she craved so she was fine two years later darley graduated high school and immediately moved to dallas to join darren she started a job at the same computer chip company he worked at Mm. Which, that's literally what it says, was a computer chip company. In August of 1988, Darley and Darren would be married and moved into an apartment in Garland, Texas to be close oh to God. Darren's computer chip company. We were just company. there. I know, this that past weird? weekend, yeah. Also, I, yeah, we passed the water tower and I remember saying, oh, Garland, because it reminds me of Christmas. Like, uh-huh. Christmas Garland? Okay. I told you it was close to Josh. <laughs> so within a year, they settled in a home in nearby Rowlett, Texas. Darren was doing... Yeah. yeah. I mean, all of these, yeah. if you ever drive anywhere in Texas, you'll know these little mm-hmm. towns. Right. Um, and Darren, they're little. Yes. Darren was doing really well and actually started his own company called Testneck, which he operated out of their home. And Darley was doing like the books for the mm-hmm. company. Okay. So on June 14th, 1989, Darley and Darren welcomed their first baby boy, Devin Rush is his middle name. Uh, Two years later, on February 19th, 1991, their second son, named Damon Christian, was born. Life was good. Darley and Darren had two bouncing, bubbling baby boys, and Darren's business had grown so much and seemed, oh, um, that he expanded and bought a space in an upscale office building to operate out of. They were financially secure and seemed happy. Darley was still working with Darren, and by 1992, the two had earned a small fortune from their business. They used this money to have a home built in the affluent suburb of Rollette. Darlick Heights Edition was the suburb, which was a crime-free community with upper-class businesswomen and men. The house was a like, little miniature colonial-style mansion, complete with a water fountain on the front lawn. So... you'll yeah she's very much about appearance right um darley was a great mother loving and caring and present in their lives to celebrate and make all the memories the kids were thrown lavish birthday parties and the routiers were the family in the street with the most christmas lights the scariest halloween decorations and the largest turkey at thanksgiving 
But there was another side to Darlie, a parallel to the younger Darlie that is striving for attention, possibly due to low self-esteem. Darlie was very materialistic and cared a lot about the impression her appearance made on others, like to the extreme. When she um, went to a plastic surgeon for a breast implant consultation, Darlie opted for a double E, like <clears throat> huge. Like She wanted the big knockers. Yes, like she, and it was written in there in the article I was reading that she, like, basically wanted to look like a porn star. What is her body stature? Like, is she, like, petite? She's, like, petite. Okay. Um, she bought clothes that were either too small or super revealing, but it was all for looks and attention, which, like, okay, whatever. Like, who cares, really, what you're wearing? Right. Um, she started spending an insane amount of money on her clothes, though, and that's where the issue really was. Right. So, this is the sad part. Darlie soon becomes obsessed with her looks and having the newest, most expensive, flashiest of everything. Damon and Devin are toddlers now, and many times Darlie is leaving them unsupervised, enough to where neighbors were making comments about it and noticing. Um, when Darlie was present and taking care of the boys, she acted bothered and annoyed at them and began to lose her patience with them, which is like... They're babies. Almost like they're an inconvenience to her. Oh, very much. Yeah. yeah. Very much. Um, now it's Christmas time and the Routiers are hosting a Christmas party where in real Darlie fashion, she is stealing the show on the dance floor, but with another man. Guests at the party witness Darlie and Darren exchange in a violent argument. During this time, though, there were rumors that both Darren and Darlie were both going out on one another in their marriage. Despite all of this, the couple continued to buy things and pretend to be happy and with the Joneses. They bought this, like, huge cabin cruiser and a space to dock and board it at this exclusive marina called the Lake Ray Hubbard Marina. So, like, woo-wee. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just, like, all about wanting to live that lifestyle and look like they were living that lifestyle. But they had a bunch of, like, sadness within the marriage. But this was, like, a front for them. Yes, very much. So, in 1995, Darlie becomes pregnant with their third child. Uh, yes. So, so, she gets annoyed by the first two, but she's like, I'm going to pop one out. Yes, another. but people around them are happy and think that maybe the couple oh. has overcome their obstacles. Or maybe it'll, like, settle her down a little bit. Or, like, well, they're thinking, like, they're so in love, they're having this other baby because it's right. made out of but love. But also, she's so obsessed with their looks surprised she would want to get pregnant you know because it can well i think too with her looks it's like her clothes and stuff like that but we're gonna get into her body in a second well i guess again um so on october 18th 1995 drake was born Mm -mm. not the real drake (laughs) i know but that's (laughs) just what i'm thinking the pause made me the question. Post, well, every time I say that name now, like, and I don't even, I couldn't even name you one of his songs, but that's who I think of. So this post-pregnancy was different this time. Darlie experienced postpartum depression, which let's be real, real here in the early nineties, PPD was not something people were like well educated on and even was it well accepted. Right. Mom's struggling with this, need full support from family and friends. And it's almost like Darlie doesn't have any real relationship with anyone in her life at this time. And here's something I wrote a little fucked up, but it's a lot fucked up. Darlie had issue losing the gained weight from her pregnancy, but this made her so mad. And like, she became like volatile, like just mad about the way she looked and coupled with the fact that she was struggling mentally. It was just this 
disaster recipe. And Darren and Darlie would still argue mostly about money. And Darren would bring up the fact that even the diet pills Darlie were taking weren't helping her lose weight, knowing that would set her off. That's not nice. No. So they were like playing with one another. Right. They were like seeing what could get each other like going. It's probably fun for them. So they were really not happy at all. Like just. Uh, to to purposely upset your spouse or your partner like that. That's Especially just... about looks. Jesus. Yeah, and then you have little babies in right. the mix, and it's just awful. So, as you can probably surmise, Darren and Darlie have been living beyond their financial means. Tessneck was losing money. Darren could no longer pay himself his salary or pay Darlie for doing the books, which she actually stopped doing due to her depression. Their bills were late, creditors were on top of them, and on June 1st, their bank denied them a loan of $5,000, so all-around great times for them financially. Um, Darley kept a diary writing entries, like, sporadically, and an an excerpt from May 3rd, 1996 read, while Darley was contemplating suicide, Devin, Damon, and Drake, I hope you will forgive me for what I am about to do. My life has been such a hard fight for a long time, and I just can't find the strength to keep fighting anymore. I love you three more than anything else in this world, and I want all three of you to be healthy and happy, and I don't want you to see a miserable person every time you look at me. And I just couldn't write this part better, so I'm taking this from the same article, um, which was on Murderpedia. Darren walked in on her while she was writing this and noticed the tears swelling in her eyes. She broke down and confessed the terrible thoughts of suicide that had been running hot through her brain. He held her and they talked long into the afternoon. By the end of the conversation, she had calmed. For one afternoon, they loved each other again. While that is sweet and somewhat reassuring, one month later, the lives of the routiers would be changed forever and in the worst way possible. But I guess that's why... We're here. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's not a happy ending because we're going over the story. Yeah, so it's June 6, 1996 at 2.31 a.m. Doris Trammell, dispatcher for the Rolat Police Department, answers a frantic phone call from a woman screaming hysterically. Somebody broke into our house. They just stabbed me and my children. My little boys are dying. Oh, my God, my babies are dying. Trammell jolts up from her chair and tries calming the woman on the other line. Ma'am, please call down. Calm down. Tell me what's happened. The woman was rambling incoherently and Trammell becomes confused. She traces a call to 5801 Eagle Drive, the home belonging to Darren and Darley Routier. Trammell continued to try and calm Darley on the other line. She was shocked that a murder could happen in the quiet community of Rollette. It was just unheard of. The 911 call continues. While I was sleeping, me and my little boys were sleeping downstairs. Someone came in, stabbed my babies, stabbed me. I woke up. I was fighting. He ran out through the garage, threw the knife down. Trammell has asked how old the boys were, and Darley confirms that the injured boys were Devin, six years old, and Damon, five years old. The police are en route, and at this time, 28-year-old, like, that's three, four years younger than me, Darren is awakened by the chaos downstairs. Darren comes upon a horrific scene in the entertainment room. The room room he left just hours earlier to his two oldest boys lying on the floor watching TV and Darley on the sofa in the same room. 
Now he sees Damon and Devin in their same spot, but covered in blood. His wife covered in blood. Darlie is screaming into the phone with her dispatcher. Here's an excerpt from a book about the case by Barbara Davis called Precious Angels. And this is about when Darren walked down and what he saw. But wait, where's Drake at? He's a little, so he's like six months old at this time. And so he's, he's probably upstairs. in a different room. Yes. So I'm guessing he did not die. Well, right now, both the boys are just covered in blood. Okay, okay. Yeah. So he saw blood everywhere. Darren rushed to Devin's side and saw two huge gashes in his son's chest where the six-year-old had been stabbed repeatedly. Checking for a pulse and feeling none, he looked at Devin's face. Eyes wide open, stared vacantly back. He then turned toward the other boy, five-year-old Damon, lying near a wall, his back to the room. A small amount of blood was oozing through the back of his shorts. Sorry. Damon's lungs rattled as he struggled to suck in air. Torn between two sons, the horrified father momentarily panicked, then made the decision to begin cardiopulmonary resuscitation on the son, who was not breathing. Darren placed his hand over Devin's nose and breathed into his child's mouth. Blood sprayed back onto the father's face. First officer on the scene is David Waddle. He couldn't believe what he was looking at. I know. Waddle. I know. Just wait for the other guy. Um, Waddle had never seen anything like this in Rollette. He was overwhelmed by the smell of blood and sickened by the sight. He checked both boys. Devin was gone. Damon had a faint pulse. So he instructs Darlie to cover him in towels and apply pressure to his wounds. And I think he told her to cover him in towels because, like, blood is so slippery. Yeah. Yeah. Gives him, like, a grip. Yes. Darley ignored him. Like, totally disregarded him. And Waddle's confused and becomes further confused as Darley was screaming at him. A bloody, like, and as she's screaming at him, she has a bloodied rag pressed to her throat. And she's screaming that the intruder could still possibly be in the garage that she made sure to mention he fled from. Oh, so now she's getting her shit. <laughs> she's setting the scene. Right. Um, Officer Matthew Walling, so Waddle and Walling, arrives at the scene and a paramedic team is close behind him. Jack Colby and Brian Koshak. The paramedics pause as they look at the scene. They're astounded and shocked. They immediately realize that they cannot handle this, quote, carnage alone. Two dead or dying children and a mother covered in blood. It was too much, so they call for backup. The trail of blood started in the entertainment room, through the kitchen, and into the attached garage. There's a slash screen in the garage, but no armed intruder. There's no one in the garage, the house, or any area surrounding the house. The kitchen tile is splattered with blood, and there's an overturned vacuum cleaner. On top of the kitchen counter is a bloodied butcher knife. Next to the knife are a purse and a set of expensive-looking jewelry, all untouched. Now where is baby Drake? Drake is crying in his crib. Well, they're probably thinking the jewelry, if someone came in, they probably would have grabbed that, right? Yeah, so that's what they're saying. And it's right by the knife, so that puts an intruder and something easily to be stolen and pawned off right next to one another. So that could also mean that it's targeted, right? But Mm -hmm. what enemies is a five- and a six-year-old going to have? Right. Oh, but Darlie's injured too, so keep that in mind. So she, yeah. 
Now, where is baby Drake? Drake is crying in his crib upstairs. With all the commotion, there had been no mention of the smaller babe until the police find him during their search of the home. Hmm. Sergeant Walling observes the six-month-old for bruising her wounds, but finds none. Darren meets Walling at the stairs and explains that Jake is their youngest. Larry Byford, Eric Zimmerman, and Rick Coleman have now arrived to tend to Damon, who is still alive. They're at the other paramedics. Devin was gone, his eyes lifeless, gazing Mm. at the ceiling. Both boys sustained two particularly large gashes or knife thrusts into their chest. Both boys' lungs had been penetrated, and Devin died gasping for air, which is a horrific death. Damon is experiencing the same symptoms, gasping for air, undeniably suffering. As Colby placed Damon onto the stretcher, he thought he heard his death rattle. Damon was given an IV, and onto the hospital he went. The paramedics didn't have much hope for him. Death rattle is basically your body shutting down, and and all the gases are coming up out, so it makes that horrible. It reminds me of the Holly Dunn case, remember? Yes. Um, The horrible sound. So it sounds horrible, and a lot of people confuse it as them coming back to life. Right, but this is a paramedic. Right, true. But um, I can imagine the sound of the death rattles. Horrendous. And just, like, charring coming from from a a small small child. child. Yeah. So, um, the premier... Oh, yeah. So, Coleman and Colby performed chest compressions on Damon on the way to Baylor Medical Center. But he dies before they arrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the canine unit arrives at the Rottier home and begins canvassing the surrounding area for a scent trail. While Darley's wounds are being treated on the porch, she retells her story of the intruder coming into the home, mounting her on the sofa, and awakening her. What does that mean? Mounting? Like, on top of her, like he's gonna rape her. Oh. Yeah. They scuffle and fight, then he flees out through the garage. After he leaves, she discovers the boy is covered in blood on the floor. She awoke to a man straddling her on the sofa, but not her children being stabbed to death, which just making that part clear right here. Right, because moms wake up at any, like, mm-hmm. when it's their kids. I'm sure your sister, Mari, even moves in the sleep, and I'm sure your sister's up and ready to, oh. uh, what's going on? She's been sick, and they just sleep up there on right, the floor. Yeah. Right, right. After she describes the attacker to the police, Darley is taken in an ambulance to Baylor Medical Center. Darren, too too shaken to drive, is driven by a neighbor to the hospital, and then the neighbor's wife stays behind to be with baby Drake. Oh. The police presence... um, Yeah, really. Um, The police presence continues to grow at the Rotier residence. The police also note, albeit a small dog, but a protective one, which turns them off, that this little dog who is attacking all the policemen like traipsing through the house Mm -hmm. didn't seem to bark nor bite an intruder no evidence of it at least so they do have this dog and it's like attacking and it did attack one of the policemen that came in like biting at his ankles and stuff it was like super aggressive so the neighbor that was there with the baby was like oh he does that like just calm down calm down to the Mm -hmm. dog she's said you know like when new people come over the dog does that and that gets confirmed later so lieutenant Jack. Did we already talk about Lieutenant Jack? No, we didn't because I skipped a paragraph. 
Lieutenant Grant Jack, the commander of the investigative division, had been called out of bed at 3 a.m. to come to the scene. As Devin's body was placed into the coroner's bag, he completely lost it. For months when I came home from work, I'd walk into my five-year-old son's room to check on him, Jack later recalled. When I looked at my son sleeping, I didn't see him. I saw Damon in the morgue and Devin on the floor. I just couldn't shake the vision. Hmm. Lieutenant Jack continues to be bothered by the fact that something at the crime scene, something about these murders and attack aren't adding up. By this time, there are camera people, media, neighbors. It's insane. So Lieutenant Jack places Detective Jimmy Patterson and Lieutenant Jack's partner, Chris Falk, um, actually I think it's Frosch, in charge of the investigation. Jack sends Frosch to the hospital to interview Darley to get every detail and piece of information about what happened. Another strange bit of information comes to the lieutenant when Sergeant Walling pulls him to the side to tell him something. Lieutenant, you won't believe what Mr. Rautier said to me right before he left to go to the hospital to be with his wife. He turned to me, and I swear to God, he said, Golly, I guess this is the biggest thing Rowlett's ever had. The man had two of his children slaughtered tonight, and he's acting like the damn circus is in town. Uh, that's fucked up. It's just strange. That is very strange. Crime scene is taking photos, dusting for they prints. They don't think he did it, though. Mm-mm. Okay. Policemen are taking notes. A sergeant neighbors find something amiss. In the kitchenette, something very telling had occurred. He thought it was strange that the sink was spotless and white, while the floors and edges of the countertop around and above it was blood smudged. And if someone had taken the effort to clean this sink of blood, why? Nabber's job was to process blood traces at the scene. He began to conduct a test to detect the presence of human blood that cannot be seen with the naked eye, which like then this article goes on to explain what luminol is, but I feel like if you're listening to this, you probably know what it is. So Nabbers sprayed the sink and the surrounding counter with luminol. When the lights were switched off, the entire sink basin and the surrounding counter glowed in the dark. Nabbers went to the leatherette sofa and repeated the same process with the luminol there. He discovers a small child's handprint glowing blue right where Damon had been stabbed. This handprint had been wiped away or cleaned. Why? Crime scene consultant James Cron began to notice that things that appeared one way were in fact completely out of sync, including Darley's testimony of what happened. Darley stated that the intruder came in and escaped back through a cut screen in the garage. Well, while yes, there was a screen with a cut slash through it, there is no evidence that someone actually went through the slash. The screen was in place and had no signs of being forcibly pushed. Well, and there would have been blood all over it, right? Probably if they escaped. Yeah, blood. we'll get to that. Yep. The screen was actually even, like, removable. Mm. Which, like, if you came up to it, you would know that. And you would just push it. Right. Or if you thought you killed everybody's... You would just remove it, right? Because you wouldn't be worried that they would be chasing after you. Exactly. So that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And then even more telling, the wet and dewy ground beneath the window was untouched. No prints in the mulch, nothing. Mm. Of course, Darley didn't admit to actually seeing the intruder enter exit, so sure, she could have gotten that wrong. Right. But Cron surveyed the entire home, and there was no evidence of an intruder entering or exiting the residence. Mm. So this is a story that the crime scene tells, not Darley. 
Following the bloody footprints, that's where we're going to start. Okay. They lead from the entertainment room where the boys were found to a utility room that then leads into the garage, trailing off below the window where the cut screen is. Again, the screen scenario seems unlikely, doubled with the fact that there is undisturbed dust on the windowsill and no evidence of blood, like you said, on or around the window. So she, whoever did this staged it. It's very clear, right? Yes. Which there, A, would be blood on the intruder, and B, the intruder would need to use their hands to, like, hoist themselves up to the window. Yeah, and, like, to get themselves out. Mm -hmm. So they would have to leave blood or fingerprints, Fingerprints, something behind. Smudges, everything. Um, Continuing out to the yard is no blood or evidence of anything being disturbed. Yeah, and they even look for, like, footprints in the grass. And then none of that's on the inside. Yeah. So, like, there's no mulch, there's no dirt footprints on the Do inside. Nothing. None of it. Because also, it's, like, 2, 3 in the morning. Right. So, that's when you have all of that. So, this is a story that, uh, well, I already read that. <laughs> so, more disturbing is the scene in the entertainment room where the murders took place. A lampshade was askew, and a flower arrangement is knocked on the floor though something appears strange about the stems and the flowers. Some are broken as if someone literally broke them and placed them there. Like, if flowers fall on the ground, they don't. their stems don't just magically break. Mm-mm. Like, if you have a cat, anyone that has a cat, it has knocked down an arrangement of flowers in right. your life. That's just what they do. And th- flowers don't just, like, break. Right. Um, so, that's pretty clear that someone broke them and then arranged them in a way that looked like they They were were destroyed like used as like a weapon almost maybe no i think they just no i think that they the bouquet bitch i think that it was just meant to look like Like they were destroyed right yes like someone was in distress in the house and knocking shit over Yes, or they got knocked over scuffling around trying to take a knife from someone. So, only Darley's footprints were found in the kitchen, and there's a broken wine glass alongside the vacuum that was tipped on its side. Mm -hmm. So, most important thing to note about this is the blood is underneath all of these items, which means they were placed there after the fact. Oh. And then, how did her husband not hear any of that? None of it. A wine glass breaking, a vacuum cleaner falling, I mean, none of it. I, how do you know how far away their room was from all this? But it said they had like yeah, this really were, nice house, but it was like a mini mansion. Well, it wasn't and like were, a big. And they were traveling all throughout the house, like this. No, so so it was like the entertainment room, and then you could either go into the utility room or the kitchen from there, mm-hmm. and both of those rooms, the kitchen, the utility room went into the attached garage. Oh, okay. So it was, like, kind of connected. I don't know. And the bedroom's upstairs, but I'm like, I don't know. So another excerpt from Precious Angels, which is a great book about this case. Um, Everything Kron saw at the crime scene disturbed him. The lack of a blood trail away from the home, coupled with virtually no signs of a struggle, bothered him the most. Late afternoon, after his thorough and all-day examination... He summarized his findings for Lieutenant Jack and Sergeant Walling. We all know the crime scene tells the story. Problem is, that story is not the same one the mother's telling. Somebody inside this house did this thing. Gentlemen, there was no intruder. Ooh. 
Yeah. Well, now it kind of looks like the husband because Miss right? Thang has a scratch on her neck. Yes. So, during the trial, the prosecutor would attempt to portray Darley as a heartless, uncaring mother and cold-blooded murderer. Many of the of their... I know I'm kind of, like, going back and forth, but you'll see because I'm going to go into, like, her hospital stay. So... Many of their witness testimony came from the hospital staff at Baylor Medical Center where both the boys' bodies were sent and where Darley was admitted for observation. Hospital staff recall that almost immediately, Darley gave off major warning signs. She seemed agitated by the whole thing and kept repeating, who could have done this to my boys? The staff saw her reaction as insincere and fake. RN Jody Fitz was quoted saying, Darley was wheeled by trauma room one where her dead child was. She glanced over there and I was very concerned she would get more upset. His physical condition alone was disconcerting. He was nude and covered head to toe in blood. Tubes were still held in place with tape and brown bags had been placed around his little bitty hands to preserve any possible evidence. It was a very stressful and horrible sight. I'll never forget it. Darley saw him. She absolutely saw him. No response. Just turned her head back and stared straight ahead, cold as ice. What a little fuck. That's just one RN. The doctors that examined Darley's wounds found them to be superficial. Underneath the scratches and blood, they were found other minor cuts than the large gash. Of course, after these wounds had been stitched, they looked awful because they were like all right here in her neck. And you'll see like the scar and some of the pictures we're going to post. Um, but they did not penetrate the jugular vein nor the sheath around it, which is like mm-hmm. your kill shot. <laughs> like... So I wonder, was she trying to make it look like she was attacked, or was she actually trying to kill herself, too? Well, you'll see. It was almost like the smaller cuts were hesitation marks. Nevertheless, Darley was placed in ICU for the trauma she experienced and hooked up to all the necessary machines to monitor her. The day after the murders, both Jimmy Patterson and Chris Frosch visit Darley for another interview. Her story is becoming more detailed than before. I woke up hearing my son saying, Mommy, Mommy, as he tugged on my nightshirt. I opened my eyes and I felt a man get off me. I got up to chase after him. As I flipped the light in the kitchen on, I saw him open his hand and let the knife knife drop to the floor. He then ran out through the garage. I went over and picked up the knife. I shouldn't have picked it up. I probably covered up the, I probably covered up the fingerprints. I shouldn't have picked it up. I looked over and saw my two babies with blood all over them. I didn't realize my own throat had been cut until I saw myself in a mirror. I screamed out to my husband. So already it's different because before that man being on top of her is what woke her up, right? Right, and now she's saying the the child did. Right. And the guy's just on her and that didn't wake her up? (laughs) Mm -mm. So RN Christopher... Beagles was in the room during this interview with Patterson and Frosch, and he recalls how Darley kept repeating the fact that she picked up the knife, erasing the intruder's fingerprints and leaving her own instead, which I wrote, which LOL. That doesn't happen. No. They would still be on there. No. Idiot. So RN Jody Cotner remember there's a lot of Jodies at this hospital. 
RN Jody Kotner remembers how cold Darlie was to everything that was happening, even when her own mother and little sister came to visit. Kotner recalls them both being hysterical and crying. She even said she comforted her little sister for a really long time. And like in her little quote, she was like, I can't even tell you how long I sat there with her sister crying in my arms. Mm. Um, sorry. Um, but that Darlie seemed unbothered by their sobs. People react differently to all types of situations, especially death. And we know this, but Cotner, a nurse who has worked with trauma patients for most of her life states, the reaction of people who lose their children is a wide range of emotions, but mothers are always inconsolable. In my entire nursing experience, I have never seen a reaction like Darlie's. RN Page uh, RN Paige Campbell had the same to say about Darlie. People react differently, but there is a commonality when someone sees someone they love die. But I had never seen a reaction like Darlie's before. There were tissues by the bed, but she never took one. RN Denise Falk was so disturbed by Darlie's behavior that she went home that first night Darlie was in ICU and recorded her observation of Darlie. She showed, showed no signs of sadness, only complete indifference as Nurse Campbell washed her son's blood from her feet. Mm. Darlie was released by her doctor to attend the boys' visitation that Saturday, but she and Jar Darren would first stop at the station to give their statements to Patterson and Frosch. This time, Darlie's statement was that she was awakened by Damon standing next to her uttering, Mommy, Mommy. This is different from her other two versions of what happened that night. We're all get it together. I know. In his previous conversation with Darlie, Patterson told her that her little dog had attacked one of the policemen at the house while they were investigating the crime scene. Darlie responded, oh, he always goes off like that when someone he doesn't know walks in the door. They were probably thinking, why don't you mention the dog with the intruder? Yeah. So at their visitation, Frosh overheard Darlie whisper, I'm sorry to the boys' caskets before erupting in the <laughs> whole who could have done this to my children charade. Yeah, we'll just wait for this part. Helene Sazban, who sometimes worked for the Routiers, said that after offering her condolences to Darlie for the horrific tragedy and also the expensive funeral expenses, which, like, I thought that was weird, too, because she told her she was like, I'm so sorry, like, uh, and, like, now you have these expensive, like, funerals that you mm. have to pay for and you're going through, like, financial troubles, which I thought that was kind of weird. Right. Um, Darlie's lack of emotion by blink. oh, wait. Oh my God, what is my problem tonight? I cannot read. But this was Darlie's response. I'm not worried. I'll get 5000 each for both of the boys. Mm. According to Barbara Davis's Precious Angels, I'm sorry, this I'm obsessed with this book. Yeah. As the families tried to comfort Darren, Darlie busied herself by looking at the names on the flower arrangements and comforting her relatives. The family would try to excuse Darlie's lack of emotion by blaming the pills. It is a Xanax. The doctor had prescribed as a family wept before the boys' coffins, which I, I'm sorry, a coffin is where Dracula lives. Mm -hmm, casket. Darlie made the comment that she had to be sure to send thank you notes to all who sent flowers. After all, it was the proper thing to do. Like she's not concerned with anything she needs to be concerned right. about. 
Um, Darlie and Darren had been staying with Darlie's mother in Plano, Texas, following the release from the hospital. Darlie had not been to her house since the night of the murders. This is, like, the most confounding statement here. Um, but needed some clothes for the funeral. So she called her friend Mercedes Adams to drive her there. And Mercedes was, like, getting prepared. Like, okay, she hasn't been here since the murders. What's going to happen when she walks through the door and she's, like flooded with all of these emotions. Mm -hmm. So her reaction, Darlie walks in and like, I can picture this. So she like throws her arms in the air and she's like, look at this mess. It'll cost us a fortune to fix this shit. Uh, what a ruthless little fuck. Mercedes quote. Mercedes at that point was probably like, Oh no, this is what she said. Oh, right there where her boys were killed. And that's the first thing she said to me. I put my hand on Darlie's shoulders and I said, Darlie, look me in the eye and tell me you didn't kill the boys. She looked me in the eye and said, I'm going to get new carpet, new drapes, and fix this room all up. I couldn't believe it. AKA, yes, I did. Yeah. Back to the investigation. Several questions were looming at the surface, one of them being Darlie's wounds in comparison with the boys' wounds. Mm -hmm. So defective... Defective... Dude, there's something defective with me tonight. <laughs> Detective Patterson spoke with Dr. Towns and Parchman, and they concluded that while the boys suffered forceful stabbing, Darlie's were only surface wounds and resembled the trademarks of what they call hesitation wounds. That is, the wounds indicated that the blade had like slowly, deliberately cut into her skin, and when she was like encountered with pain, the person holding the blade reflexively withdrew it. The pictures of Darley's and the boys' wounds and autopsy reports of the boys were sent to the FBI at Quantico to be further examined, and the results came back that Darley's wounds were vastly different from the boys. Darley's being superficial and Damon and Devon's being massive, mortal, and fatal. The FBI also noted that the killings were personal, with the stab wounds being focused on the chest near the heart, and this is what demonstrated extreme anger. Mm-hmm. Rage. Brantley reported other observations. Brantley is like one of the FBI guys. Um, for a violent struggle to take place, as the mother claimed, no real breakage occurred. After looking at the crime scene photographs, it appeared to me that the intruder who committed this crime had a strong connection to the material items in the home. Oh, okay. So the living room was fairly small and compressed. Two adults fighting would have resulted in, like, a ton of broken things. Right. A lot of fragile items in the living room that should have taken the brunt of the struggle were not broken or touched right, at all. Right, because they're flashy people, so I imagine they had, like, Like, Fabergé eggs or something. Yeah, like, China like and stuff. Yeah, so his conclusion was that Damon and Devin's murderer was someone who knew them and knew the residents. The entire scenario had been planned out and staged. So, this is probably the most notable scene in the case, or, like, how it's recognized um, and kind of, like, set apart from other cases. Um, it's what happened at the gravesite of Damon and Devin. Um, on Devin's, De Devin's seventh birthday, the family gathered at his grave to celebrate him. In attendance were Darlie and Darren Routier, the infant Jake, Drake, Darlie's mother, and then the 16-year-old sister, Dana, who still lived at home with the elder mama Darlie. So, okay. like, we don't really talk about her. Um, and then they had invited a few personal friends. 
Oh, and then the local TV station, KXAS TV, was also filming their okay. celebration. <laughs> um, Darley explained to the reporter that prior to Devin's death, they had planned this like huge, a lavish birthday party for him, and that she saw nothing wrong with them gathering there to do just that at his grave. So the crew at NBC thought this whole event was either a bad PR attempt on Darley's part, a sincere show of goodwill will just executed in poor taste or just complete insanity. Well, it gets stranger. Detective Patterson was also recording the event with a concealed camcorder and hidden microphone. Um, a pastor opens the ceremony over Devin's grave. He gives his sincere attempt at a eulogy, but before he is able to finish, fucking Darley and her lunatic, the lunatic that she is, she starts spraying a can of silly string across the newly padded ground her son is buried under. She is laughing, smacking bubblegum, and singing happy birthday like a legit fucking psycho. She starts to cry out, I love you, Devin and Damon. I love you. What a weirdie. Silly string. Yeah, she just like, and there's video. She was like making a party of it. Yes. To justify her actions, she afterward told Muniz, which was the reporter, Mm -hmm. if you knew my sons, you'd know that they are up there in heaven having the biggest birthday party we could ever imagine. And though our hearts are breaking, they wouldn't want us to be unhappy, but they'll be a part of us always. Responding to questions about her boys' mystery killer, she she said, The only thing that keeps keeps me going is the hope that they will find that person. I have faith in God. I believe he will direct the police to that man. And he did. And how long afterward is this from the murder? So I think he was born in February. So... Okay. So not too much longer. Uh -uh. A couple months after the murder. No. Not even that. This is just like... No, it's not that much longer after. Okay. I don't know if this was like years. No, 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 no. Like okay. weeks. Okay. Um, responding to questions about her boys, we did that. Four days after the birthday party on January 18th, the Rollette Police Department arrested Darlie Routier for the murder of her two children. Immediately after her incarceration, Darlie demanded that she be given a polygraph test. When she was informed that Darren couldn't be present in the room with her during the test, she withdrew her request. But she was she did end up changing her mind on advice from her defense team. But her stipulation was that before she take the polygraph, she exercises her right to take a private test first. And after that private test, um, the results were never formally released, but Darlie and her mother were seen immediately afterwards sobbing relentlessly. Mm-hmm. So she pled not guilty, but after nearly a month-long trial and hours of deliberation, the jury on February 1st found Darlie Lynn Routier guilty of the murder of her son, Damon Christian. Yes, you have that right. Just the one. Oh, I was like, wait a She minute. was not trialed for Devin's murder, so... I guess the family was just didn't want to go through with it, but she was... Um, that's enough to give her life anyways, right? But, yeah, so she was charged with capital murder for Damon. Three days later, a somber judge peered down from his bench to the white-faced Darlie before him and read her the court's decided penalty. It was death. <gasps> yeah. She was sentenced to death? Yep. Darlie that's so is rare now... that you hear women be sentenced to death. Uh-huh. I think she's, like, one of six or nine at this um, 
place in, okay. in Texas. So Darley is now 52 and resides at Mount View Unit in Gatesville, Texas. Ooh, that's where all the bad bitches yeah. go. That's where uh, Yolanda Sal- Salvador. Oh! Selena's killer's That's at. right. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's going 25 years strong on death row, baby. Fuck that bitch. I want to... Is that it? Yeah. I want to go to... I want to find her address and drive by it next... Like... With Josh, like I want to see the house that it happened in. I'm oh, sure I yeah. can find it. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I have the address here. But oh, um, that's yeah. horrible. That's horrible. It's just like it's scary because she just if if an intruder came into that house, they're absolutely right. He he could like the fact that the throat is so easy. Like to well, the thing is like the boys' wounds were so violent, and, and why so was her so surface level? You know? Yeah. Exactly. So she wanted to like she put up a fight and like she she was, just didn't want kids. They were too much. She should have proceeded with the suicide, not the murder. <laughs> but I'm just like. But the thing was, is we've we knew we knew about her and read about her was the attention. Mm-hmm. So well, she's she, got attention now. She knew all the attention she would get from the boys dying, and as you saw, it was always that like. Who killed my boys? Mine. Like, it's I've got to see a photo of her. Oh, I have a ton of them. I have one of her, like, in... I think the most recent one I found of her was, like, in 2018. But she is not cute, baby. She was a cute lady before all this shit, but... sure. Fuck her. Yeah, you need to watch the silly string thing. It is (laughs) wild. Oh, well. But, yeah. Well, good job. Well... Rest in peace, little boys. Yeah, I mean, it's just... At least... Drake. So Drake is still alive. Yeah, and I'm sure really fucked up. I didn't <sighs> even want to go down that road and look up anything. Well, about that's him. crazy. You one day have three sons, and now yeah, and one. Darren's family has him. So good. Yeah, poor thing. And I'm guessing the husband obviously had nothing to do with it. No, I just found it strange that like he had told them like, "Well, I was up in bed sleeping." I'm just like, "How the fuck did you not hear any of that?" Right. I wake up at. But I guess, too, like, if the boys were asleep and she just stabbed them, I mean, like right could... there, it probably just knocked the wind oh, out of knocked them. knocked the wind out of them. And he was working so much, I'm sure he was probably in a deep sleep. I'm not trying to, like... No, I know. But, but yeah, know, like, he was working a ton. And, yeah. and, like, super stressed because they didn't have a lot of money anymore. And um, she was spending all of their money, but he didn't seem to be, like... On titties. <laughs> stopping her. <laughs> Oh, yeah, her titties, her yeah. Her titters. All right, well, thanks, babe. I've You're welcome. Gotta use the restroom. I can tell. <laughs> I'm rocking back and forth. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Yeah,